Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, Frank McGuigan, who is President and Chief Operating Officer at Transplace. And today we're going to talk about a sustained market shakeup, what M&A activity means for the transportation and logistics industry. Now, over the past few years, it's been kind of the steady stream of, of mergers and acquisitions in the transportation and logistics industry. Everything from, you know, high profile, big, you know, mega deals to, you know, small local transactions to, to everything in between. And, um, you know, what does, uh, what does this mean exactly for, you know, shippers and, you know, other, other companies in the industry? Um, what's driving all of this M&A activity and, and will it continue in the, in the months and years ahead? I mean, those are some of the questions we're going to talk about in, in today's episode. And it's certainly great to have Frank uh, back in the program. Uh, obviously, they're at TransPlace. Uh, they've been involved in, in several of these acquisitions over the past few years. So it's great to get his perspective in terms of what's happening in the market and, and what could potentially happen in the market, you know, moving forward. So, Frank, welcome back to the program. Adrian, very nice to be back. Thank you for having me. And you're right, we, we've had seven acquisitions in seven years here at TransPlace. And, and we've been very active in the market and it has been a very active M&A market. Great, great. So, so let's... let's um, Let's start with that first basic question. I mean, like I said, a lot of uh, transactions have taken place over the past few years. I mean, what's what have been the main drivers of all this? Oh, I, I mean, if you look at the way we look at it, and, and if you read anything in this space, including uh, your blog and your newsletter, and that's a free plug for anybody, by the way, the, uh, um, starting with the consumer and working your way backwards all the way up through the supply chain to support that consumer the demand in the marketplace has significantly changed to a more demanding, ultimately, consumer, uh, to a, demanding, a more demanding shipper who's placing those demands all the way back on their manufacturers and suppliers all the way up through the supply chain. And what that means is, is their requirements to successfully serve that entire chain are changing. Uh, being, the need for increased velocity, the need for increased visibility, the, the need for increased uh, SKU uh, uh, deployment in, in different places. All of those things mean more pressure on the supply chains of the manufacturers, the retailers, and the ultimate consumer. Um, and so with that, uh, uh, it forces the manufacturers, it forces the retailers to invest in that side of the business. And what you have as a result are uh, um, high growth areas uh, in the marketplace, uh, uh, like transportation management and technology, like uh, uh, new brokerage startups that are trying to bring the carrier community, uh, uh, especially the smaller carrier community, more closely uh, uh, engaged with the actual shipper and disintermediating and elevate the brokerage community. And also uh, everything around some of the uh, visibility and, and technology tools that are out there that are requiring almost like parcel-like visibility, even at the full truckload level, you know? So all of those things culminate in um, a, a push into the marketplace for investment and growth. And if you look at the big picture, um, just, just the general statistics around transportation and logistics, outsourcing and third-party logistics, you see that it's a high growth field. If you look at the uh, Penn State Capgemini study around uh, um, the positive uh, aspects of and the value delivered by third-party logistics companies, and you look at what Gartner's suggesting as it relates to only 30 to 40% penetration uh, in, in the transportation management technology field, 
um, and the belief that that'll grow by 24% a year for the next five years. All of those things make for a robust marketplace right now and a good opportunity to invest. Now, are you seeing, um, you know, I think there's a lot of factors there that, that you brought up, but, you know, obviously I think e-commerce is, is one driving force, right? In terms of, you know, the huge growth area, you know, there, and in terms of, uh, you know, expanding the capabilities of, of both LSPs and, and shippers uh, to be able to respond to that, that growth and those, those customer expectations. Okay. Uh, are you seeing, you know, one of the, one of the words I hear a lot from other uh, of folks is th this need for for scale and maybe it's, you know scale being a, a competitive differentiator uh, do you see that as well as kind of th that being another driving force I do see that as a driving force and, and so for for us as an example uh, when we acquire a company one of the benefits that we bring that if they're a smaller transportation management company uh, is the is the benefit of our scale and our network so scale is one thing and uh, network leverage is a separate thing. And so buying power, uh, we believe that there's a point of diminishing returns in that, number one. Number two is it only gets you so far uh, when capacity comes constrained in the marketplace. But scale of network, the ability to leverage uh, your network to the benefit of the care community and the benefit of the, uh, of the community of shippers that play in that network, that's the differentiator. And so one of the things that we're really leveraging for our community of shippers, uh, which of which there's over 200 of them as transportation management customers, is that network scale, um, uh, utilizing uh, our, our more than 20,000 carriers to operate successfully, uh, improve operating ratios uh, inside our network so that ultimately uh, the carrier or, and, and the customer are getting the best deal. Yeah, no, I, I love that because, I mean, one of the things that I've been talking about more and more over the past few years is this, this concept of, you know, network effects in supply chain logistics. And I think that's, that's coming to bear right now, uh, you know, more clearly in terms of leveraging the power of a network and a community, you know, both on the shipper side and the carrier side and bringing that community together. And I've always argued that, that logistics service providers, 3PLs, are in a perfect position to you know, leverage or enable those network effects because you effectively are bringing this ecosystem together. I think that's right. I believe that those networks have existed, uh, but for the first time, we're actually seeing uh, that benefit being delivered back to the carrier and the shipping community. And so if you look at high-scale uh, uh, trucking companies or high-scale brokerage companies, et cetera, they leverage their network successfully. What we're trying to do is, is marry those two things together to the benefit of all parties. Great, great. Now, so, I mean, a lot of these acquisitions are not just being done by kind of the companies within the industry, but there's a lot of, you know, private equity companies that are also kind of getting involved here. I mean, what, what makes transportation logistics, you know, so attractive to, to investment firms? You know, uh, there, there are everything that I just described as it relates to industry growth, you know, think about, uh, um, think about what's possible right now um, in commercial, uh, um, as an example, commercial real estate, you know, and, and warehousing and, and what's happened in, uh, uh, because of the need for uh, on-demand inventory uh, uh, pre-positioned uh, near, the, near the demand point and everything that's happening in that network. Think about, uh, um, again, the statistics around the growth in, in software as a service and transportation management systems. All of those things are exciting, 
to uh, private equity companies. Private equity companies are, are there to uh, support growth in business, uh, but, but more importantly, support the, uh, uh, the investment dollars of their shareholders. And, and this is an industry uh, with the amount of disruption that's occurring, with the amount of growth that's, uh, uh, that's growing, it is a very good bet. You layer on top of that the benefit of very, uh, a very positive capital markets right now, um, supporting uh, all that underlying investment, and it, it, it's a very good time. Yeah, no, absolutely. A lot of a lot of money flowing into this industry. I know over the past couple of years, I've uh, gotten a lot of inquiries from you know private equity firms and, and VCs trying to get a, a better handle on the market or understand or getting my thoughts and perspectives on certain either companies or or segments. So I think that's that's something that I've been personally you know experiencing over the over the past few months and and, and years here. Um, you know, shifting gears a little bit, and I'm sure the answer, you know, varies by the, the acquiring company, but what, what makes a good, you know, acquisition target? I mean, what, what are the main, you know, attributes that, that acquiring companies look for in, um, you know, here in the logistics industry? Well, if you look at our core business, uh, it, it really North American logistics management uh, for manufacturers, distributors, and retailers. And, and so... When we, uh, you know, if, if you look at our individual seven acquisitions, all of them had us expanding a capability, a geography, or, or, or a product that we traditionally didn't bring to the marketplace or bring to our current customers. So uh, as an example, SCO Logistics, which is where I came from, uh, allowed uh, TransPlace to expand into the chemical group. Um, the, the, the three uh, transportation management deals that we did after that were one was to expand uh, uh, further into Canada and the other two were really to expand our presence in the middle market. And what did that do for TransPlace? Um, traditionally, we were very much an enterprise 500 or a Fortune 500 focused organization. Um, and, and now uh, um, that allowed us to have an entry point into what we consider to be the middle market and bring technology into play to better service that middle market. So. For us, that uh, expansion of current capability, expansion of markets, uh, you look at uh, what we did with the laser acquisition that we made in the, in, in, in the end of uh, 2016. We had been in Mexico for uh, eight years, very successfully growing that business. And, and But laser really put us, uh, uh, gave us a tremendous cross-border capability there for all of our customers and increased our warehousing footprint uh, 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 and it increased our, our customs clearance volume uh, for our customers uh, that, that are in, throughout the rest of North America. So all of those things have to link together. We, we really, you know, we, we look at multiple acquisitions a year. Uh, um, we're very choosy. They have to have real revenue synergy. We don't buy companies looking for cost synergy. In fact, what makes our, uh, our acquisitions as successful as they have been is the fact that we like to keep most of the teams that we acquire because they bring new ideas and, 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 and uh, uh, innovation into the business that we haven't uh, considered. In addition to that, that, that human capacity that, that we're acquiring uh, supports the tremendous amount of organic growth that we've seen over the years as well. So it's been very beneficial all the way around. Yeah, no, those are, those are some great points. I mean, uh, you, you know, obviously, I mean, I think you, you look at different uh, deals that are out there and sometimes, you know, companies bought and they might have been in kind of financial, you know, distress. In other cases, they're bought because that company is fast growing and, and it's going to be, 
you know, contribute financially, positively, you know, relatively quickly to the company. Um, your thoughts on, you know, the, the importance of, of culture. Oh, uh, yeah. I was just going to add that point, actually. And, and, and number one is, is we haven't bought a company in financial distress. Uh, uh, we've, bought, uh, um, we've bought profitable, growing companies because it's important that for us, as we, as we assess a business, we don't want to do a fire sale. We don't want to buy a company in distress. That's not what we're doing. What we're trying to do is add value to their customer base and add value to our customer base uh, in the marketplace in general by expanding capability. So they have to be able to stand on their own uh, or they wouldn't be interested. That's number one. Number two, you brought up an, an incredibly important point. There are deals that we say no to and have said no to because uh, um, there wasn't a terrific cultural fit. You know, Transplace is, is customer first, people always culture, right? And so they, uh, they have to be built with people, with customer in mind on every decision that's made on a, on a daily basis. And, and um, if, if that's not the culture of the business and we've seen companies that were like that, then it's not a good fit and we're gonna spend too much time trying to indoctrinate them into our culture. And ultimately that's not good for anyone involved. So we save everybody the trouble and focus on great cultural fits. And we, we have been really uh, truly blessed with, with uh, the acquisitions that we've made. They have fit seamlessly into our, into our company from a cultural standpoint. Yeah, no, I think that that's a key point there. Cause I mean, I think the, um, uh, a lot of the successes that I've seen over the years have been because there was a, a great alignment in culture between the two companies that, that came together. And, and on the flip side, you know, those that, whether it was in the LSP front or even the technology front, those that kind of failed or, or kind of were problematic were those where you know, both companies had very different cultures um, and like you said, try, a lot of time and energy was spent, uh, you know, trying to, you know, address those cultural differences, um, and then that prevented the, the the unified company moving, you know, to move forward, you know, effectively. So I think culture plays a, a big role here. It, it does. It's funny. I was recently at a large company that's going through a significant uh, merger slash acquisition, and, um, global in size, and they were talking about how there is a culture of the company that's buying them and then they have their culture and, and, and a, uh, there's a team actually working on a third culture that's going to be the combination of the two cultures in addition to something that's new and different. And uh, I think that uh, uh, we have not had to have uh, um, that third culture conversation uh, yet. And, and you're right, it is, uh, uh, we're immediately focused on candidly um, supporting the people that we've just acquired and everything and every concern that acquiring company might have, as well as uh, supporting their customer base and bringing to them ultimately the benefit that you would get by being a transplaced customer. Yeah, no, that's, that, that, that's interesting. I've, I've heard of cases like that as well. I mean, I think it's, it's one thing to kind of define a culture on PowerPoint and on a document, you know, exactly. but in reality, a culture is something that um, obviously develops over time. And, and it's something that, you know, has to be, um, uh, you know, reinforced over and over and over again. And, and, and does take some time, you know, uh, th there's no shortcuts around developing the type of culture that you want to develop within your company. You have to live your culture, Adrian. It starts from the top down. And, and if you're not living it and, and reinforcing it and, and supporting it and, and feeding it, you know, and nourishing it every single day, then it's not going to be the culture that you want. You really have to live those values.
You know, another another important point, or, or something that's become even more important. I'm just kind of your your take on this in terms of how important is it, or whether it's something that's more manageable than the cultural side of things. Is, is technology? I mean, when when you look at an, a company that you're acquiring, um, you know, what what is the role, or how important is the technology that they bring to the table? Perhaps the technology that they don't might not might not have. Sure, it's it's very important, and so we have. And, and uh, we were just uh, laughing about this the other day. We've acquired four other TMSs, you know, and, and so um, we, we want everybody on the TransPlace platform. We think that's the best way to deliver value across the community of shippers. And so what we've done is we've migrated every single customer onto the TransPlace platform, but we've, we've migrated them with uh, the, the bells and whistles that they were currently using in, in, in the host system um, and, and making sure that no customer felt uh, uh, that they weren't getting uh, everything they had before plus, plus, plus. Ultimately, we haven't acquired a company with a technology that was better than ours. We have a very strong technology platform, as you're quite aware. Um, but there are some things that we've learned along the way for sure with some terrific uh, uh, as I would say, uh, bells and whistles uh, that, that we have actually promoted in our own technology to support the acquired customer base and the entire community. So that's been very positive. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think certainly that's become a, a more important consideration, you know, moving forward in terms of the role of IT, you know, playing, uh, you know, playing there, not only as part of the due diligence process, but obviously, as you just, uh, as you just uh, described there, you know, after the acquisition is made in terms of how to, you know, uh, bring that you know, together effectively. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I wrote, I wrote that the 3PL industry is it's kind of becoming barbell shaped with, you know, kind of small, you know, niche providers growing and thriving at one end, and then, you know, very large global providers uh, kind of growing and thriving at the other end, and everybody else kind of in the middle kind of getting squeezed out. I mean, uh, did you agree with kind of my perspective there? And, uh, you know, in other words, are the rules for success in the 3PL industry, you know, changing? And is that what's fueling some of this M&A activity as well? I, I think it's a great, I think it's a great question. And, and so obviously uh, the consolidation has, has uh, in, in the M&A industry has built significantly large companies that, that didn't exist five and 10 years ago. That's real. Um, I'm constantly amazed at, at industry events, the amount of new names that I haven't seen before. So I haven't seen a significant barrier to entry uh, in the marketplace, especially if you have innovation or a new idea. And, and we're seeing a lot of that, especially in the technology space recently. So I think that you're gonna continue to see that. The thing that, that uh, uh, I think will ultimately make a difference is you, you, I believe the marketplace is gonna demand the innovation with the scale in the network that we spoke about earlier for ultimate uh, delivery. And, and, and so I expect uh, um, more companies to come into the space. I expect acquisition to continue. I, I wouldn't say squeeze in the middle market. I, I don't think that that market feels squeezed. I think what, what, what's happening is that um, it's, it's, if they're being squeezed, it's not by the market itself. It's by the, their inability to take the next step as their shippers or ultimately their customers are putting the market pressure forces on them that I described at the beginning of this, of this conversation. And that is, I need more visibility, I need greater technology, I need network leverage, et cetera. And they can't turn that corner, which has them looking for a partner. 
Right. No, I, 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 I agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, by squeezed, I, I kind of meant um, in some ways, you know, getting commoditized, right. Or, or, or failure to, or, or feeling pressure to how to, how to differentiate in a more crowded, you know, field. And I think you're, you're right. A lot of the companies that I come across that are kind of in that middle space, they, they get to a certain level, a certain uh, size of company, but then to get them to that next level, uh, they're really going to need an infusion of capital, an infusion of talent, an infusion of technology. And a lot of times that's where, um, you know, it becomes difficult or challenging them to get to that next level. And why, you know, I think, you know, sometimes it's easier uh, or they start thinking about it next, you know, do, do, do we raise the money, right? Or to do that, or does it make sense for us to join a larger organization and get acquired? I, I would say that, that um, yes, the, the, those I've seen all of that, right? And, and so, but, but we, you know, we talked about the reduced barrier to entry we also, you and I both know that that we're on. We have uh, hit the bottom and have bounced as it relates to deflationary rate pressure in the marketplace over the last eighteen to twenty-four months. And so, startups that are promising rate savings um, will be fail. We we believe that they'll be failing on those promises in two thousand eighteen, and and your ability to deliver value not based on rate will be differentiating. Right. Right. So, so let's talk now uh, about, um, you know, the customers at the end of the day, right? I mean, with, I mean, what does all this consolidation within the industry mean for customers? I mean, what are, what are the potential benefits on one hand and also kind of the potential risks for them? You, you know, we, we see this every day uh, for our own acquisitions and, and what, what the, the acquired customers tell us is pretty straightforward and, and, and there's a recurring theme all the way through. And some of my prior answers have actually been as a result of those conversations in that they recognize that their partners uh, um, were, were beginning to hit a wall as it relates to their own ability to invest in technology. Um, they also believe that uh, they read the papers and they see what's going on in the marketplace. And, and uh, they're beginning to believe uh, the whole value of scaling network as discussed earlier. The other side of that, though, is they're, they're used to a very boutique experience, right? And, and so they like dealing with, with a smaller company and the attention a smaller company gives them. And, and that's why we're quite careful, as we mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, when we, we do an acquisition, we're, we're looking more for revenue synergy than cost synergy in that we want the day-to-day the, the -day and the experience of the customer ultimately to be the same, but to bring the value of world-class technology, North American scale, um, Lean Six Sigma in, in re-engineering and procurement processes they, that they don't currently have availability to to ultimately drive the ongoing continuous improvement. And so really, I, I mean, as usual, the market wants the best of everything, right? And so they want to feel that, that direct customer experience, not feel like they're a small fish in a very large ocean, uh, but they also want the benefit of, 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 of living in that production, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, th I, 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 I hear the same type of things too. I mean, I think overall uh, customers of the acquired companies ultimately feel optimistic, right? Because they see the opportunities ahead of them. I think where they have the concern is related to the kind of things that we talked about before. You know, is it, you know, is there truly a cultural fit? Is there going to be, you know, distractions to what we're trying to accomplish and what, we, what we're looking for in, in the services we're looking for, in the type of value we're looking for? Because, you know, they're going to, the two entities are going to spend the next year 
you know, trying to merge their cultures and be kind of distracted by that? Or are there going to be issues on the technology front where, you know, there's going to be disruptions or we're not going to be able to do the things that we used to be able to do or get the visibility we used to be able to have? Or So, so I think it, there's, there's always optimism and I think they view it positive, but in the back of their mind, they're kind of, you know, keeping their fingers crossed that uh, everything we talked about before in terms of that due diligence and that, you know, focus to alignment of culture, you know, being more revenue driven alignment versus cost reduction. Those are the types of, you know, positive uh, framework that, that the uh, combined entity is going to be mo- moving forward with versus one that's going to be, you know, slash and run or, you know, where the cultures are just going to be clashing and, and the customers at the end of the day are going to be, you know, left out in the cold. We, we both know that there has been uh, many instances in the marketplace, uh, ones that we could speak to very overtly that have occurred that way and it hasn't been beneficial to either company nor their customer base. And, and so, again, and we've been quite blessed and we're quite careful uh, as we make those decisions. Ultimately, uh, you, can't, you can never look at the customer in the eye and say, this is going to be seamless because we will be engaging with them at some point through that first year on an IT cutout. Um, and, and so we'll have to engage our IT team. Um, but our promise then is to kind of live to the values that they've always uh, felt in their current relationship and the service levels that they've always felt. In addition to that, uh, layering in the world-class technology and the continuous improvement processes that we generally bring in our sales. Great, great. Well, uh, Franco, we're kind of running short on time here. So just as a way to wrap up, I mean, do do you see M&A activity kind of, you know, continuing or picking up speed in in the months ahead? And uh, any big surprises? I mean, I know one of the one of the predictions I made many, many, many years ago, which really hasn't come to fruition yet, was that a, you know, a big name brand 3PL was going to buy a big name brand supply chain software company. Um, is that a possibility someday? I, I think it is a possibility. I, 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 it's certainly a possibility. I could see two strategic. I, I could, you know, you could think out. Uh, uh, the impact of pulls in, in one area of, of the logistics sector versus the IT area of the logistics sector and the dilution involved and how, how, how that might not work. The other side of that, I, I think uh, um, there would be, could be fit there for sure. And so um, if it does happen, uh, I'll remember that you said it three or four years ago or, or, and, and give you full credit for the idea. Um, we will continue to acquire companies. It, it, is, it is part of our growth strategy. We have a, a, a strong organic growth strategy that, that uh, we will continue to deliver on over the next five years, but we will certainly supplement that with, uh, with ongoing acquisitions. As it relates to velocity, um, I, I really can't speak to that. I don't see anything on the horizon to suggest that that would shut off. Um, it might slow, if it does slow down, I, I would, again, uh, I might think about uh, uh, the impact of, of, of capital markets and interest rates, et cetera, um, as a result of that. Great, great. Well, I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just have to keep our eyes and ears open and see what happens in the, in the months and, and uh, years ahead. But I think you're right. I think, you know, this is an area that we'll continue to see, uh, you know, activity, you know, moving forward. Well, Frank, like I always say, you know, we always manage to scratch the surface on, on these topics that we talk about here on Talking Logistics. But I think we covered a lot of ground today. And Certainly appreciate you making the time to share your uh, perspective on this topic. A pleasure, Adrian. 
Great. I want to thank uh, those of you that uh, joined us. Uh, if you are watching this episode on demand and uh, either on the Transplace website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or comment for Frank, uh, you can post it there, and I'm sure that he'll be more than happy to respond via that medium. Again, thank you all, and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.